0: Chapter Twenty-One of *The Ivory Child* by H. Rider Haggard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty-One, Homewards. There is not much more to write of this expedition, or if that statement be not strictly true, not much more that I wish to write. Though I have no doubt that Ragnall, if he had a mind that way, could make a good and valuable book concerning many matters on which confining myself to the history of our adventure i have scarcely touched all the affinities between this central african worship of the heavenly child and its guardian and that of horace and isis in egypt from which it was undoubtedly descended for instance also the part in which the great serpent played therein as it may be seen playing a part in every tomb upon the nile and indeed plays a part in our own and other religions further our journey across the desert to the Red Sea was very interesting, but I am tired of describing journeys and of making them. The truth is that after the death of Hans, like to Queen Sheba when she had surveyed the wonders of Solomon's court, there was no more spirit in me. For quite a long while I did not seem to care at all what happened to me or to anybody else. We buried him in a place of honour exactly where he shot Jana before the gateway of the second court, and when the earth was thrown over his little yellow face I felt as though half my past had departed with him into that hole. Poor drunken old Hans! Where in the world shall I find another such man as you were? Where in the world shall I find so much love as filled the cup of that strange heart of yours?' i dare say it is a form of selfishness but what every man desires is something that cares for him alone which is just why we are so fond of dogs now hans was a dog with a human brain and he cared for me alone often our vanity makes us think that this has happened to some of us in the instant of one or more women but honest and quiet reflection may well cause us to doubt the truth of such supposings The woman who, as we believed, adored us solely has probably in the course of her career adored others, or at any rate other things. To take but one instance, that of Mameena, the Zulu lady whom Hans thought he saw in the shades. She, I believe, did me the honour to be very fond of me, but I am convinced that she was fonder still of her ambition. Now Hans never cared for any living creature, or for any human hope or object as he cared for me there was no man or woman whom he would not have cheated or even murdered for my sake there was no earthly advantage down to that of life itself that he would not and in the end did not forego for my sake witness the case of his little fortune which he invested in my rotten gold mine and thought nothing of losing for my sake that is love in excelsis and the man who has succeeded in inspiring it in any creature even in a low bibulous old hottentot may feel proud indeed at least i am proud and as the years go by the pride increases as the hope grows that somewhere in the quiet of that great plain which he saw in his dream i may find the light of hans's love burning like a beacon in the darkness as he promised i should do and that it may guide and warm my shivering new-born soul before I dare the adventure of the infinite. Meanwhile, since the sublime and the ridiculous are so very near akin, I often wonder how he and Memina settled that question of her right to the royal salute. Perhaps I shall learn one day. Indeed, already I have had a hint of it. If so, even in the blaze of a new and universal truth, I am certain that their stories will differ wildly hans was quite right about the black kendah they cleared out probably in search of food where i do not know and i do not care though whether this were a temporary or permanent move on their part remains and so far as i am concerned is likely to remain veiled in obscurity they were great blackguards though extraordinarily fine soldiers and what became of them is a matter of complete indifference to me one thing is certain however A very large percentage of them never migrated at all, for something over three thousand of their bodies did our people have to bury in the pass and about the temple, a purpose for which all the pits and trenches we had dug came in very useful. Our loss, by the way, was five hundred and three, including those who died of wounds. It was a great fight, and, except for those who perished in the pitfalls during the first rush, all practically hand to hand. "'Jana we interred where he fell, because we could not move him, within a few feet of the body of his slayer Hans. I have always regretted that I did not take the exact measurements of this brute, as I believe the record elephant of the world, but I had no time to do so, and no rule or tape at hand. I only saw him for a minute on the following morning, just as he was being tumbled into a huge hole, together with the remains of his master, Simba the King.' I found, however, that the sole wounds upon him, save some cuts and scratches from spears, were those inflicted by Hans, namely the loss of one eye, the puncture through the skin over the heart made when he shot at him for the second time with a little rifle in tomby, and two neat holes at the back of the mouth through which the bullets from the elephant-gun had driven upwards to the base of the brain, causing his death from haemorrhage on that organ. I asked the white kendah to give me his two enormous tusks, unequalled, I suppose, in size and weight in Africa, although one was deformed and broken, but they refused. These, I presume, they wished to keep, together with the chains off his breast and trunk, as mementos of their victory over the god of their foes. At any rate, they hewed the former out with axes, and removed the latter before tumbling the carcass into the grave. From the worn-down state of the teeth I concluded that this beast must have been extraordinarily old. How old it is impossible to say. That is all I have to tell of Jana. May he rest in peace, which certainly he will not do if Hans dwells anywhere in his neighbourhood, in the region which the old boy used to call that of the fires that do not go out. Because of my horrible failure in connection with this beast, the very memory of which humiliates me, I do not like to think of it more than I can help. For the rest, the White Kendah kept faith with us in every particular. In a curious and semi-religious ceremony at which I was not present, Lady Ragnall was absolved from her high office of guardian or nurse to a god whereof the symbol no longer existed, though I believe that the priests collected the tiny fragments of ivory, or as many of them as could be found, and preserved them in a jar in the sanctuary. After this had been done, women stripped the nurse of her hallowed robes, of the ancient origin of which, by the way, I believe that none of them, except perhaps root, had any idea, any more than they knew that the child represented the Egyptian Horus and his lady guardian, the moon-god Isis. Then, dressed in some native garments, she was handed over to Ragnall, and thenceforth treated as a stranger guest, like ourselves being allowed, however, to live with her husband in the same house that she had occupied during the period of her strange captivity. Here they abode together, lost in the mutual bliss of this wonderful reunion, which they had attained through so much bodily and spiritual darkness and misery, until a month or so later we started upon our journey across the mountains and the great desert that lay beyond them. Only once did I find any real opportunity of private conversation with Lady Ragnall. This happened after her husband had recovered from the hurts he received in the battle, on an occasion when he was obliged to separate from her for a day in order to attend to some matter in the town of the child. I think it had to do with the rifles used in the battle, which he had presented to the White Kenda. So, leaving me to look after her, he went, unwillingly enough, who seemed to hate losing sight of his wife even for an hour. I took her for a walk into the wood, to that very point indeed on the lip of the crater whence we had watched her play her part as priestess in the Feast of the First Fruits. After we had stood there a while, we went down among the great cedars, trying to retrace the last part of our march through the darkness of that anxious night, whereof now, for the first time, I told her all the story. Growing tired of scrambling among the fallen boughs, at length Lady Ragnall sat down and said, Do you know, mr Quatermain? these are the first words we have really had since that party at ragnall before i was married when as you may have forgotten you took me in to dinner i replied that there was nothing i recollected much more clearly which was both true and the right thing to say or so i supposed well she said slowly you see that after all there was something in those fancies of mine which at the time you thought would be best to be dealt with by a doctor "'About Africa, and the rest, I mean.' "'Yes, Lady Ragnall. Though, of course, we should always remember that coincidence accounts for many things. In any case, they are done with now.' "'Not quite, Mr. Quatermain. Even as you mean, since we have still a long way to go. Also, in another sense, I believe that they are but begun.' "'I do not understand, Lady Ragnall. Nor do I but listen.' You know that of anything which happened during those months I have no memory at all, except of that one dream when I seemed to see George and Savage in the hut. I remember my baby being killed by that horrible circus elephant, just as the ivory child was killed, or rather destroyed, by Jana, which I suppose is another of your coincidences, Mr. Quatermain. After that I remember nothing until I woke up and saw George standing in front of me, covered with blood. "'and you and Jana, dead, and the rest. "'Because during that time your mind was gone, Lady Ragnall.' "'Yes, but where had it gone? "'I tell you, Mr. Quartermain, "'that although I remember nothing of what was passing about me then, "'I do remember a great deal of what seemed to be passing, "'either long ago or in some time to come. "'Though I have said nothing of it to George, "'as I hope you will not either, it might upset him.' what do you remember i asked that's the trouble i can't tell you what was once very clear to me has for the most part become vague and formless when my mind tries to grasp it it slips away it was another life to this quite a different life and there was a great story in it of which i think that what we have been going through is either a sequel or a prologue you see i saw cities and temples with people moving about them george and you among them also that old priest hart you will laugh but my recollection is that you stood in some relationship to me either that of father or brother or perhaps a cousin i suggested or perhaps a cousin she repeated smiling or a great friend at any rate something very intimate as for george i don't know what he was or hart either but the odd thing is that little yellow man hans whom i only saw once living for a few minutes that i can remember comes more clearly back to my mind than any of you he was a dwarf much stouter than when i saw him the other day but very like i recall him curiously dressed with feathers and holding an ivory rod seated upon a stool at the feet of a great personage a king i think the king asked him questions and every one listened to his answers that is all "'except that the scenes seemed to be flooded with sunlight. "'Which is more than this place is. "'I think we'd better be moving, Lady Ragnall, "'or you will catch a chill under these damp cedars. "'I said this because I did not wish to pursue the conversation. "'I considered it too exciting under all her circumstances, "'especially as I perceived that mystical look "'gathering on her face and in her beautiful eyes, "'which I remembered noting before she was married.' she read my thoughts and answered with a laugh yes it is damp but you know i am very strong and damp will not hurt me for the rest you need not be afraid mr quatermain i did not lose my mind it was taken from me by some power and sent to live elsewhere now it has been given back and i do not think it will be taken again in that way of course it won't i exclaimed confidently who ever dreamed of such a thing you did she answered looking me in the eyes now before we go i want to say one more thing haruta and the head priestess have made me a present they have given me a box full of that herb they called tobacco but of which i have discovered the real name is taduki it is the same that they burned in the bowl when you and i saw visions at ragnall castle which visions mr quatermain by another of your coincidences have since been translated into facts I know. We saw you breathe that smoke again as priestess when you uttered the prophecy as oracle of the child at the feast of the first fruits. But what are you going to do with this stuff, Lady Ragnall? I think you have had enough of visions just at present. So do I, though to tell you the truth I like them. I am going to keep it and do nothing, as yet. Still, I want you always to remember one thing. Don't laugh at me. Here again she looked me in the eyes. But there is a time coming. Some way off, I think. When I and you, no one else, Mister Quatermain, will breathe that smoke again together and see strange things. No, no, I replied. I have given up tobacco of the kenda variety. It is too strong for me. Yes, yes, she said. For something that is stronger than the kenda tobacco will make you do it when I wish. Did Haroot tell you that, Lady Ragnall? I don't know she answered confusedly i think the ivory child told me it used to talk to me often you know that child isn't really destroyed like my reason that seemed to be lost it has only gone backwards or forwards where you and i shall see it again you and i and no others unless it be the little yellow man i repeat that i do not know when that will be Perhaps it is written in those rolls of papyrus which they have given me also, because they said they belong to me, who am the first priestess and the last. They told me, however, or perhaps, she added, passing her hand across her forehead, it was the child who told me, that I was not to attempt to read them or have them read, until after a great change in my life. What the change will be, I do not know. And had better not inquire, Lady Ragnall, since in this world most changes are for the worse. I agree, and shall not inquire. Now I have spoken to you like this because I felt that I must do so. Also, I want to thank you for all you have done for me and George. Probably we shall not talk in such a way again. As I am situated, the opportunity will be lacking, even if the wish is present. So once more, I thank you from my heart until we meet again i mean really meet good-bye and she held her right hand to me in such a fashion that i knew she meant me to kiss it this i did very reverently and we walked back to the temple almost in silence that month of rest or rather the last three weeks of it since for the first few days after the battle i was quite prostrate I occupied in various ways, amongst others in a journey with Harut to Simba town. This we made after our spies had assured us that the Black Kenda were really gone somewhere to the south-west, in which direction fertile and unoccupied lands were said to exist, about three hundred miles away. It was with very strange feelings that I retraced our road, and looked once more upon that wind-bent tree, still scored with the marks of Jana's huge tusk in the boughs of which Hans and I had taken refuge from the monster's fury. Crossing the river, quite low now, I travelled up the slope down which we had raced for our lives, and came to the melancholy lake and the cemetery of dead elephants. Here all was unchanged. There was the little mount worn by his feet, on which Jana was wont to stand. There were the rocks, behind which I had tried to hide, and near to them some crushed human bones, which I knew to be those of the unfortunate Marut. These we buried with due reverence on the spot where he had fallen. I, meanwhile, thanking God that my own bones were not being interred at their side, as but for Hans would have been the case, if they were ever interred at all. All about lay the skeletons of dead elephants, and from among these we collected as much of the best ivory as we could carry, namely about fifty camel loads. Of course there was much more, but a great deal of the stuff had been exposed for so long to sun and weather that it was almost worthless. Having sent this ivory back to the town of the child, which was being rebuilt after a fashion, we went on to Simba Town through the forest, dispatching pickets ahead of us to search and to make sure that it was empty. Empty it was indeed. Never did I see such a place of desolation. The black kendah had left it just as it stood, except for a pile of corpses which lay around and over the altar in the market-place, where the three poor camelmen were sacrificed to Janna, doubtless those of wounded men who had died during or after the retreat. The doors of the houses stood open, many domestic articles, such as great jars, resembling that which had been set over the head of the dead man, whom we were commanded to restore to life, and other furniture lay about because they could not be carried away. So did a great quantity of spears and various weapons of war, whose owners being killed would never want them again. Except a few starved dogs and jackals no living creature remained in the town. It was in its own way as waste and even more impressive than the graveyard of elephants by that lonely lake. The curse of the child worked well, said Harut to me grimly. First the storm, the hunger, then the battle and now the misery of flight and ruin. "'It seems so,' I answered. "'Yet that curse, like others, came back to roost. "'For if Jana is dead and his people fled, "'where are the child and many of its people? "'What will you do without your god, Harut? "'Repent of our sins, and wait till the heavens send us another, "'as doubtless they will in their own season,' he replied very sadly. I wonder whether they ever did, and, if so, what form that new divinity put on. I slept, or rather did not sleep, that night in the same guest-house in which Marut and I had been imprisoned during our dreadful days of fear, reconstructing in my mind every event connected with them. Once more I saw the fires of sacrifice flaring upon the altar, and heard the roar of the dancing hail that proclaimed the ruin of the black kendah as loudly as the trumpet of a destroying angel. Very glad was I when the morning came at length, and, having looked my last upon Simba Town, I crossed the moats and set out homewards toward the forest, whereof the stripped boughs also spoke of death, though in the spring these would grow green again. Ten days later we started from the holy mount, a caravan of about a hundred camels, of which fifty were laden with the ivory, and the rest ridden by our escort under the command of Harut and our three selves. But there was an evil fate upon this ivory, as on everything else that had to do with Jana. Some weeks later in the desert a great sandstorm overtook us, in which we barely escaped with our lives. At the height of the storm the ivory-laden camels broke loose, flying before it. Probably they fell and were buried beneath the sand. At any rate, of the fifty, we only recovered ten. Ragnall wished to pay me the value of the remaining loads, which ran into thousands of pounds, but I would not take the money, saying it was outside our bargain. Sometimes since then I have thought that I was foolish, especially when on glancing at that codicil to his will in after days, the same which he had given me before the battle, I found that he had set me down for a legacy of ten thousand pounds. But in such matters every man must follow his own instinct. The white kendah, an unemotional people, especially now that they were mourning for their lost god and their dead, watched us go without any demonstration of affection or even of farewell. Only those priestesses who had attended upon the person of Lady Ragnall while she played a divine part among them wept when they parted from her and uttered prayers that they might meet her again in the presence of the child. The pass through the great mountains proved hard to climb, as the foothold for the camels was bad, but we managed it at last, most of the way on foot pausing a little while on their crest to look our last for ever at the land which we had left, where the mount of the child was still dimly visible. Then we descended to their farther slope and entered the northern desert. Day after day and week after week we travelled across that endless desert by a way known to her route on which water could be found, the only living things in all its vastness, meeting with no accidents save that of the sandstorm in which the ivory was lost. I was much alone during that time, since a route spoke little, and Ragnall and his wife were wrapped up in each other. At length, months later, we struck a little port on the Red Sea, of which I forget the Arab name, a place as hot as the infernal regions. Shortly afterwards, by great good luck, two trading-vessels put in for water, one bound for Aden, in which I embarked en route for Natal, and the other for the port of Suez, whence Ragnall and his wife could travel overland to Alexandria. Our parting was so hurried at the last, as is often the way after long fellowship, that, beyond mutual thanks and good wishes, we said little to one another. I can see them now, standing with their arms about each other, watching me disappear. Concerning their future, there is so much to tell, that of it I shall say nothing. At any rate, here and now, except that Lady Ragnall was right, we did not part for the last time. As I shook old Harut's hand in farewell, he told me that he was going on to Egypt, and I asked him why. "Perchance to look for another god, Lord Makumazohan,' he answered gravely. "'whom now there is no Janna to destroy. We may speak of that matter if we should meet again.' Such are some of the things that I remember about this journey, but to tell the truth I paid little attention to them and many others, for, oh, my heart was sore because of hans end of chapter twenty one end of the ivory child by h rider haggard